Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. This program is made possible by the sponsors of Reach, including HP, Microsoft, Smooth Podcasting, and listeners like you. Reach is a global nonprofit social impact organization whose mission is to create better healthcare experiences for both providers and patients. Reach is focused on sustainable, large-scale improvements in the delivery of care and in the health journey of all people. Reach advocates public health thought leadership, education, and innovation. Be sure to share this podcast and visit them at www.reachtl.org. That's www.reachtl.org. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. And in today's podcast interview on population health, sponsored by HP Population Health Solutions, I have the privilege of hosting the outstanding Dr. Naila Siddiqui Kamal. She is a fellow of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She's been affiliated with the NHS for the past 28 years. She has several higher education qualifications, including master's in medical education at Imperial and certificate in patient safety, quality informatics, and leadership from Harvard. She's held senior positions such as as associate dean at London Deanery, national lead RCOG, co-op member of the AOMRC Education Committee. She currently is clinically active and her subspecialty is ambulatory gynecological cancer. She's also associate director of the medical education at her trust and senior lecturer at Imperial School of Medicine. She has inventor status at Imperial for her work in developing an interacting learning resource using disruptive technologies. She's won several awards, including Distinguished Teacher Award, an excellent teacher award from Imperial Medical College, highly commendable award from Health Education England as well. She's led on challenging transformational management projects where often disruptive technologies have been introduced. And she's a frequent speaker on disruptive technologies and their place in futuristic healthcare. She's moderated high-level track sessions at World Summit of Information Society in 2019 conference in Geneva and facilitated an inaugural session on smart health ecosystems. An extraordinary individual, uh, and today on this podcast on population health, we'll be diving into the impact of systems and technology and what they could do to better the lives of both physicians and patients. So such a privilege to have you here, Dr. Kamal. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much, Sean. And before we dive into the technical and, and the anecdotal things that can help the listeners on population health, why don't you give us a little insight as to what inspires your work in healthcare? Right. I think, um, I know it sounds very cliche, but being a doctor or a clinician is not like any other profession. It often used to be called as the noble profession. There is um, serving of the humanity that is involved. And that takes a lot of dedication and focus. And there is something from inside that really motivates people. I think that is what makes a good doctor different from any doctor. Um, So for me personally, um, I felt that with this profession, I could not only um, excel in a skill, uh, but also make a difference to human beings who may be suffering because of illnesses or uh, uh, disease. So I think that is the main thing that drives me even up to this day. 
My subspeciality, as you mentioned, is cancer. And we are seeing various different um, presentations of cancer at different age groups, which we never uh, had seen before. And um, making a difference in those people's lives and more importantly, in their you know, relatives and their families' lives by being supportive, I think is a very important role that we have. I think we, it's a privilege. Yeah, no, I, I certainly agree. And, you know, the specialty that you chose going into oncology and just, you know, the work being done there to, to help tackle this disease is, is really important and meaningful. Uh, you're very interested in patient safety and, and physician safety and technology. I'd love to, to hear more about what you're doing in those fields so that you can improve the lives of the people that you care for and also the environment in which that care is provided? Um, so um, patient safety, I mean, it is one of the basic tenants that as clinicians or any healthcare worker, you know, have to consider very seriously because um, thou shall not harm is number one. And uh, when the report, uh, both in the U.S. and U.K. the reports simultaneously in the year 2000 came uh, in the U.K. named as to err in in America actually it was to err as human uh, in U.K. also it was called as a an organization with a memory when emphasis was being made on the um, avoidable harm that happens uh, while we are trying to deliver healthcare and it is up to unacceptable levels. So my focus has always been trying to use innovation uh, to reduce the avoidable harm and improve patient journey. So when I got involved in technology, especially after being uh, going to Harvard and doing the certificate in healthcare informatics and patient safety, I've become I've become even more um, focused in trying to find innovative methods, innovation, and target them in bringing more efficiency and safety in our um, healthcare delivery. Yeah. And so, you know, the EMR is oftentimes looked at as a burden and, you know, for physicians and, and extra work away from patients. And, you know, as it connects to what these systems can give us by way of data and then, you know, implementing that with innovative technologies, how can we leverage those to both help populations and also the physicians caring for them? So it's a very important uh, topic these days because there are are certain thought uh, groups that, that think that technology in itself is a big burden on clinicians and in many cases, if technology is used uh, not in the correct way, that can be the case. However, I've been always the advocate of engaging with technology and using it in a way that helps us rather than making a liability to make, uh, make it uh, kind of a um, helpful resource. So, for example, EMRs in themselves uh, with clinical decision support systems, artificial intelligence back you know, repetitive tasks being done through AI. Uh, these are things where 
uh, we can really use technology for our benefit. I would say, you know, even if we look back about a decade or two decades ago, the way we used to practice medicine, we didn't have many technical things uh, which were used. And in this day and age, we are using those as mainstream. You couldn't, wouldn't think in my line, I wouldn't think of assessing a patient totally without having an MRI or a CT scan where I'm suspecting cancer. So the, the what is that? That is also a form of technology. The only difference is now that we are faced with a lot more innovation in health informatics. And the scale of uh, healthcare being delivered to the population, it's simply not possible to do things manually. And um, if technology can help us, I think we should rather than alienate from it, engage with it. I think it's such a great perspective. And it oftentimes is the is the perspective uh, that we choose to take on a particular matter like EMR or, or technology innovation that that makes up how we actually uh, work with it and implement things. Do you have anything in particular that you want to share around that, and maybe maybe a way that you've improved outcomes or work? flow in the practice that you run or, or even in, in academia, right? Because you do a lot of things as an academician. Yeah, um, there are two examples that come into mind. One mm -hmm. is in academia at Imperial College. So this is going back. I mean, I people are talking about technology right now, while as um, I think I was lucky enough to be in that research environment where in 2008 we were using Second Life, uh, which is a virtual world, uh, to deliver healthcare. So Second Life, for those who don't, uh, who are not aware, it's a virtual world where um, people can make avatars and log in, and it's not just uh, a game. It's game-based learning, game-based doing our routine, whatever uh, work we do. So there are the Mayo Clinic, there are other hospitals I've, I've heard were in um, Second Life and Imperial also had a site. So we had opened a clinic where teenagers who wanted to seek contraceptive advice and were um, felt taboo otherwise to go into uh, physically into a clinic would come and seek help. So this was, I think, a very good uh, novel experience at the time, using technology in delivering of healthcare, overcoming a barrier which would restrict. And you know, teenage pregnancies were at, on the rise, and this were this was a really good innovation that helped us at that time. Um, yeah, a, another example, example comes more in the clinical side as uh, in the UK, we have pathways for uh, various different clinical presentations. So the, the cancer patients are referred from the primary practitioner or the GP who we call uh, on a two-week pathway, which means that within two weeks, we have to see the patient. There are timelines within 28 days that diagnosis has to be done within 63 days, the whole procedure and everything has to be done. So there are very tight timelines. This was converted on a platform so that every single step which is involved from the patient being referred to investigations, to diagnostics, to surgery, to post-op care, everything has now been streamed onto on a technical pathway. So these are things that will help us in delivery of our care. So um, these are the two examples that come to mind immediately. 
Uh, some great examples, removing barriers through technology, facilitating the way that we, we provide care. These are, these are all great things. And like you said, very much necessary if we're going to scale the care that we provide to, to, yeah. to patients uh, and also facilitate the lives of providers. What would you say in your life and in your career, Nyla, uh, has been um, a win and something that you're very proud of? Recently, if I um, give you the example of with the COVID-19 situation, um, I got an email from a colleague or a friend of mine who had met at WSIS, which is the World Summit of Information Society, United Nations Conference in Geneva last year. Uh, she said she's from the Caribbean and she mentioned that they are, are having a challenging time and they want to do something for their population. And as a clinician, she wanted me to help out in developing a digital tool. And we sat down to think, okay, what would be the best solution at this moment in time for their population? Uh, we've come up with something called as the COVID check bot. It's a bot which has got not only symptom checker, but it's got digital companion functionalities, um, up-to-date information. It's got a calendar with uh, symptom die recording with tracing contact. And another good thing is we've collaborated with a tele health provider so that it is linked with the telehealth portal as well. So people who are in isolation, they have something valid and reliable as a source of information, uh, which is linked with CDC and updates. It has got risk stratifiers so that they know what their particular risk is. But most importantly, I consider that it's a behavioral change solution because now from Post-COVID, life is going to be very different, in my opinion. The way we practice medicine, the way individuals will be looking after themselves or being more vigilant, hopefully these tools uh, will help in you know, identifying trends. Because what is the biggest thing that has hit us with COVID-19 crisis? In my opinion, it is that we were caught off guard. If there, was, if there were methods or mechanisms where the symptoms, as soon as they were emerging, were being collected and data was being analyzed and there were dashboards somewhere in population health, uh, stakeholders, um, you know, forums, they would have picked up that, look, there is something odd that is happening rather than when the deaths started happening. So as we are expecting a second or third wave, as we are told, it is very important that tools like these are taken seriously and people start showing a behavioral change in re recording or you know being more vigilant of their symptoms and this tool the beauty of it is it's totally anonymized there is no private data that is taken so it is um, you know there's no issue with that so i'm very proud of that because i think after my harvard certificate this is the first big project that i've uh, kind of done uh, with collaboration with a tech company and the clinical algorithms for AI-based decisions were all done by myself um, based on the data that was emerging from a Lancet study and all the peer-reviewed journals where the in, you know, da valid data was published. But having said that, COVID is, you know, it is, we hear that it is mutated, the virus is mutating and remutating. So it's very important to keep an eye out for new emerging symptoms. Yeah, it's a it's a very serious you know virus. And just thinking about this uh, platform that you 
helped create, you know, collaborated with in, in a major way. What a, what a great way to both provide, uh, you know, the people needing that care and the information, as well as helping the physicians, you know, scale themselves. Uh, yeah. It's just a really neat way. So how do people get access to this? Is this something that's available today for folks listening? Can you tell us yeah, a little bit more um, about that? There is a link. Uh, it's a COVID check dot i play xyz dot com so there you go folks uh the 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 link to to check out this amazing resource that nyla collaborated on and led and it's just a phenomenal you know to take what you know and apply it to situation like covid in such a way that's going to help scale uh care but also help so many people uh just want to give you big kudos for that dr kamal thank you so talk to us a little bit about a setback or something that you've experienced that provided a key learning. The setback, I would say, uh, as I was mentioning before, I'm a kind of a positive person and setbacks, I take them as an opportunity for uh, new things to do. But the setback I think that really impacted my career was that uh, health reasons. Um, I was unable to do the type of surgery I trained for. So uh, a keyhole surgery, minimal access with my um, very severe hand arthritis. So that actually opened new avenues. One of my mentors mentioned to me that, Nyla, whatever you do, make sure that you, you know, get accreditation for it. So I went on and did a master's in medical education at Imperial. And my thesis was based on game-based learning and digital technology. Who was to know at that time, this was about 12 years ago, that um, disruptive technologies would be the future and how we will be practicing medicine will be very dependent on that. So it opened more avenues for me, more enjoyable avenues. And um, although I, uh, you know, I do miss operating uh, as I used to, and not being able to be in that theater environment. Uh, but having said that, I use virtual reality and other technologies to immerse in that virtual environment and teach my students. I think that's great. And uh, you are a very positive uh, person by nature. And I think that's what's a big part of what's helped you be successful and, and help others develop uh, within your leadership roles. So tell me a little bit more about the virtual reality components. Uh, how are you guys utilizing those? I'm curious about that. So again, I'll give you a very latest example. So with sure. COVID-19 situation, uh, our last batch uh, of uh, students who was meant to do a rotation just before their exams obviously cannot be on the clinical site. So in order to give them, uh, although we are doing, uh, you know, online lectures and theoretical teaching is ongoing, but in order to give them the real feel of the clinical environment, I initiated a project which was completed within a week, collaborated with our technology team, and we filmed 360 virtual reality, immersive film of the theaters of the you know, labor ward of all the places that they would have gone and visited. Obviously, due to privacy and confidentiality, uh, we are not able to show real uh, life, um, you know, deliveries and procedures, but they get an envi feel of the environment where they would be. And the pre-recorded 
surgeries from various different clinicians who have consent from patients and our organization are also uploaded for the pay, for the students to, to you know get nearly as as much exposure as they would have been there so again a situation created a need the need was captured by innovative thinking and getting the resources aligned within a short period of time and delivering and fulfilling the need i think that's such a such a great use of it and you got you got it done in a week that's that's pretty impressive <laughs> I, I'm that person, you know, if I'm after <laughs> a project, I get, I really bug people until they deliver. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is a valuable skill. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations on that as well. Uh, if you had to think about one thing that you're most excited about today, what would you say that is? Well, I feel that, you know, one of the barriers to digital transformation was an inertia from clinicians, from hierarchy and a lot of red tape. I don't know about the States, but in the UK, definitely um, people were very risk averse in the sense, you know, not engaging with technology. What COVID situation has done is that it's catapulted the digital transformation right at you know, number one position in everyone's uh, priority list. And things that used to take months, if not years, to get a sign-off, now people are requesting it to be done. So I'm really excited that now that we have the go-ahead, this is the opportune moment where people with innovative ideas should be given the opportunity to really benefit because disruptive technology is one thing that people should note about disruptive and sustainable technology is what I understand. Disruptive means things being done in a way that they totally take away what how things were done previously. And the beauty of it is that disruptive technologies will keep on coming. So what we think is very novel idea right now may be not so novel in a few months or a year or so's time, because this is the difference between the fifth industrial revolution. We are in our fifth industrial revolution. The previous ones took decades to take over the one before, but this one from the fourth to the fifth is a very short time. So from just being, you know, Hmm. computers learning to computers making decisions is now very short time. So who knows what's, you know, uh, next in line. So we need to be open to all that, all of these things. Obviously, ethics is a very important component. And I lecture on medical ethics a lot. And with these open floodgates of technology, one needs to be very conscious about the ethical principles and I think the stakeholders need to very quickly uh, put in some regulations in place so that uh, we are using technology for the best for humanity in the best way possible and not get sidetracked with our over-enthusiasm and um, fall into the trap of unethical practice. Some great call-outs, uh, Dr. Kamal. Embracing ethics as things do scale quite quickly with this, uh, you know, fifth industrial revolution, as you called it. Uh, I think it's it's critical for all of us and everyone listening to to keep in mind. It's coming. 
And uh, we've got to have a good ethical framework to deal with this change. And so if you had to highlight one book, I know you're, you're a voracious reader, Dr. Kamal, what, what book would you recommend or what book would you say is your favorite? Um, if I'm being totally honest, uh-huh. I'll have to say that my book range will be all medic to do with medical profession. Okay. And out of them, I would say the Dewhurst textbook of obstetrics and gynae. Um, I'm sorry <laughs> to disappoint it. those readers who would have <laughs> expected me to say some, you know, biography or autobiography of someone. But to me, what really interests is my profession and um, everything related to it. So I really enjoy reading those books. I love it. Well, you know, it's a testament to the fact that you chose the right path. And uh, if that's what you love to read, you know, you're the, you're, you, if, if I needed the services, you'd be the one I choose. <laughs> that's an honor. That's, I'm very humbled by that. <laughs> oh, Nyla, thank you for that recommendation. And so, you know, it's been, an, it's been a wonderful discussion. We've covered so much. And if you had to leave the listeners with one thing, you know, what closing thought would you leave them with? And then what would the best place be that they could continue the conversation with you or find out more about your work? I would say to the listeners that, uh, you know, don't let small setbacks get into the way of your positiveness. I think the biggest thing that has helped me in my career is resilience. And resilience, uh, how I can explain it is that there have been many times when uh, you feel that, you know, you've given your best and you're not got the outcomes which you really deserve. But then you bounce back with full vitality and energy uh, to say that, okay, I can overcome this and there is a bigger and a better thing that I can do. Because otherwise, we get into the trap of burnout. I know we talk about physician burnout, but burnout is for anyone. And in, in whatever profession we are in, mundane things of our life and other challenges sometimes, you know, just take out the positiveness sometimes life experiences, etc. And it's important to give yourself that much of um, bounce back because otherwise we are not doing justice to ourselves. Everyone is a winner. And we need to just find that place where it will suddenly click and everything will be aligned and you'll get the positive outcome that you need. Uh, with regards to con- um, contacting me, um, best is an email. I have a website, which is medret.co.uk, but my email is best, which is nyla.kamal at medret, M-E-D-R-E-T.co.uk. Beautiful. Love that. Uh, appreciate the the invitation to connect, Nyla, and also the insights you shared, uh, just an incredible opportunity for the listeners to leverage technology, put the right perspective into place to help both providers and, and patients. And, and you're doing such an extraordinary job in practice and also in academia. So uh, thanks again for all that you shared today. Thank you so much, Saul, for your time and giving me this opportunity. I'm really humbled. This program is made possible by the sponsors of Reach, including HP, Microsoft, Smooth Podcasting, and listeners like you. Reach is a global nonprofit social impact organization whose mission is to create better healthcare experiences for both providers and patients. Reach is focused on sustainable, large-scale improvements in the delivery of care and in the health journey of all people. 
Reach advocates public health thought leadership, education, and innovation. Be sure to share this podcast and visit them at www.reachtl.org. That's www.reachtl.org.